If you have your Bibles, turn them to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 is where we'll start out tonight. I want to finish up just a couple loose ends we were looking at last week before we we kind of make a, a run for the end and finish out our study here in Revelation. Revelation 19. We're looking at the amazing, wonderful event that all of heaven is rejoicing over, and that is the return of Christ. We see it in Revelation 19, um, especially in verse 7 and 8, kind of where we've been, we've, we've been uh, spending the last couple weeks. Revelation 19 and verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. This blessed event that all of uh, the Bible has looked forward to, the moment when Christ returns and His people are united to Him to be with Him forever, His fulfillment of the promise He gives in John chapter 14 when He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again, take you to Myself, and you'll be with Me forever. This is it. This is when it finally happens. And, and every, all the pain, all the uh, suffering that God's people have been through at this time is going to be over because we'll finally be with Him. So we've, we've just kind of been spending time. What do some of these things mean? We saw that term wife. What a, what a wonderful term. His bride, his wife. And we saw that throughout Scripture, it uses it of Israel. It uses it of, church, of the church in the New Testament, especially in Ephesians chapter 5. It's His people. The people that follow Him and commit their lives to Him and, and uh, follow Him in a relationship. His wife hath made herself ready. We talked about that last week of preparing ourselves. Just like a bride prepares for her wedding, so are we to be preparing for His coming and getting ready to meet Him. Especially, it's, it's becoming a little bit more easier, I think, to, in the days that we live in to kind of think eternally rather than just, here and now, we're seeing how bad things could get and possibly uh, get even worse. So that kind of gets our mind thinking a little farther, doesn't it? Like, oh man, it'd be so nice when all of this is over. Well, we ought to be in that all the time to be ready to meet Christ. I mean, what if we died right now and we stand before Him? Are we ready? Is our life in a place that we'd be ready to, to give an answer for everything that we've done? Would we have, like verse 8 says, this fine linen, clean and white? You get this picture of a beautiful white dress. And what is that dress? The fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That's where we left off last week. If we're His people, we're following Him, well, we're supposed to be living different, right? Doing some righteous things. So let's turn from here and go to 1 Peter, just a couple books to your left. 1 Peter is where we left off. And talking about this, this righteousness. We saw in the Scripture in several places, it talks about keeping yourself unspotted from the world, keeping your garments clean. And the idea that, that is pictured there is in these, these garments is that's like our life. And we're to keep it free from sin and unspotted from the world. Not to be getting dirty and, and all stained up and muddy as we walk through the world, but to keep it clean, to keep away from sin. And that ought to be our, our, the, the, the desire of our heart. When, when we find our heart wandering or we find ourselves in temptation, the first, 
the first uh, reaction should be to get away from it. I don't want to get involved in that. I don't want to go down that road. I want to stay away from that. And that's what the idea is of, of living so that we can be righteous. First Peter chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 22. Notice what Peter's writing here and some of the things that he says kind of gives us an idea. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. You see, there, where we left off is there is a personal responsibility for righteousness. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't say work for your salvation, but work it out, like live it out. If there's this radical change that happened to you because our sins have been forgiven, we've been made new in Christ, well, that's going to affect our life, right? It shouldn't. It should, shouldn't it? So live it out, work it out. You know how that works out in your life as I do in mine. How you're supposed to be a different employee. How you're supposed to be a better father or a better husband, right? Because of the change that happened. You believe some different things. Your whole world focus has changed now to what the Scripture says and what God says and what God asks. So that's going to work out in my life. And Paul says, live it out. and Do it, do it in a humble mindset, but... Work out your own salvation. There is a personal responsibility for holiness. I'm responsible for my life. When I stand before God, I can't say, well, you know, you didn't tell me this, this, and this, and you should have. That's not going to work, right? Everything we need to know is right here. Or, well, you know, Satan made me do this, this, and that. No, Satan doesn't make us do anything. We choose, right? Well, Lord, you don't understand. Actually, he does. Hebrews chapter 4 says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knows everything we've gone through and then some. There's no excuse except for me to say, I didn't do it. I didn't do what I should have. I messed up. So there's a personal responsibility. And Peter is touching on that. You see some of the language he uses? He says, seeing ye have purified your souls. I love the King James for a reason, and this is one of them. People read the King James, they think it's like some crazy language because you got E-T-H on the end of every word. Kind of like when a white person tries to speak Spanish. They just put L in front of it and an O on the end. El caucho, el chero, right? <laughs> That's what we do. People listen to the King James and they just add F on the, <laughs> the end of any word and you're speaking Old English. It's really not that hard to understand. Yeah, there's some tongue twisters, but there's something really simple about it that the translators did, and I believe by the Lord's guidance. When you see the word ye and you, it makes it pretty simple. That's talking to more than one person. Ye and you talks to more than one person. Thee, thou, and thine is talking to one. So you can automatically get the tone of a passage when you read it. Peter's talking to the church as a whole. Seeing you guys, y'all, you see ye, that's probably a good thing to have in your mind, y'all. Seeing you all have purified your souls. See, this is a call to the church to live personally holy lives, right? There's a personal responsibility there. Church, you need to live as examples. In fact, he goes on through the rest of the book and tells us how to do that. But seeing how you have purified your souls... Not that your souls have been purified, but that you have done it. 
See, there's a responsibility. And how do we do that? Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. We purify, we make our souls, our lives, our minds clean in obeying the truth. Now, there's some things I say that have stuck in your mind. One of them is the definition of the word therefore, right? So every time you read Scripture, you're already known. Pastor Ryan says, figure out what it's there for. Here's another one I want you to, to stick in your mind. When you see the word truth, I want two things to stick in your mind. Pilate's question and Jesus' answer. Pilate's question in John chapter 18, he says, what is truth, right? What is truth? By the way, it wasn't a really a question. It was a statement, kind of like what people make a statement today. Truth, what is truth? To them, truth is uh, subjective, right? Your truth is good for you, and my truth is good for me. So therefore, you can have your truth, and I can have my truth. Well, sometimes that works out. If you're standing outside and you've got a jacket on, you're not cold, but I'm cold. If I don't have a jacket on. If you say you're not cold, that's true for you. If I say I am, because I don't have a jacket on, that's true for me. Sometimes that works, but other than that, it falls apart. Because my truth could be to knock you in the head and grab your jacket. And that's perfectly acceptable. Well, who's right then? Right? So it doesn't always work out. So when you see that word truth, I want you to think, what is truth? And then I want you to think, of Jesus' answer in John chapter 17, 17. As Jesus is praying, what does He say to the Father? Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. He says that to God. Your word is truth. If God tells God His word is truth, I'm going to take that for the answer, right? What is truth? God's word is truth. And everything it tells us is truth. And I mean absolute, concrete, objective truth. Some people don't believe the Bible. Does that make it untrue? No. I've never been to Maine. So I could say I don't believe Maine exists. Somebody just put it on a map. It doesn't change the fact of Maine existing. Just like people, they say they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe God exists. That changes nothing. This is the truth, and we can know it by experience. We can know it by what we see, what it, how it changes us, the infallible proofs that are in it. Thy word is truth. So, all that to say, Peter saying, See, you've purified your souls by obeying the truth. You've made yourselves holy by being obedient to the truth. When we are obedient to what the Word says, we are right in the sight of God. Do what the Bible says, you're never going to go wrong. How do we be righteous? How do we be holy? It's right here. Follow what it says. Follow the plan. Put these things into practice in our lives. And by the way, notice what that leads to. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. It's the Spirit that does the work. We'll look at that in a minute unto unfeigned or unhypocritical or genuine love of the brethren. You see the, the end goal there? We purify our souls, we're made holy, and you know what it does? It draws us closer to God's people, His bride, the ones who are to be holy. It ultimately leads to loving Him more. Now, here's the question. Does everyone do that? Does everyone obey the truth? No, they don't, do they? 
Maybe you've had the, the experience of witnessing to somebody. Just starting at basic ground zero. Witnessing to somebody and talking to them about God. They either don't believe in God, they don't want to hear the Bible, or they don't like your plan. They call it, well, they don't like God's plan of salvation. Let me say it that way, right? I don't believe in God, you know. How could God do this and how could God do that? You ever had questions like that? Somebody, you get into conversation with somebody, they're going to talk like that, right? How could God allow this and how could God allow that? Well, for that bad that's allowed, there's a whole lot of good that's allowed that we don't deserve, right? <laughs> like happiness and love and family, considering we're sinners. But usually where the trip up will come is when you talk about Jesus being the only way. Like that, that's what the Bible says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to God but by me. And a lot of people think, well, you know, you can be in Buddhism or you can have this kind of spiritualism or you can just kind of love God. And in the end, it all goes to the same place. No, that's not the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by Christ and His shed blood on that cross that paid for our sins. It's by faith in Him, right? That's where people will kind of trip up. They don't like that. They don't like the exclusivity exclusivity of it right so not everybody obeys the truth and then you can just go on from there even we ourselves if we're honest we don't obey the truth all the time do we you know that person you were supposed to witness to today maybe you felt being led to you said i'm busy i gotta go or there was something you knew you shouldn't have, should not have done or should have done and you did the opposite right we we all know we all fail so there's times when we don't obey the truth. So we gotta, we got to understand that. It's the motivation of our heart to be following Him as much as we can. But there are some people that outright eject, reject the truth. So we need to, we need to say that because it's going to become important in a couple minutes. Not everybody obeys the truth. There are many people who reject it, right? So you're in 1 Peter. Go left to 2 Corinthians. And let me read to you uh, from Revelation, that verse we're looking at. It says that the bride is uh, dressed in fine linen, clean and white, this beautiful picture. She is pure. She is holy. God's people finally united to Christ. And it says this at the end, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Okay, we've got a responsibility to be righteous, don't we? We saw that. Seeing you have purified your souls, work out your own salvation, let's just be careful we don't get too big of a head. No, uh, you're in 2 Corinthians, right? Look at chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. All things are from God. It's not us, right? It's Him. All things are from Him. Who hath reconciled us to Himself by, Christ, uh, by Jesus Christ, hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 9, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. Do you see the active force in this? Who reconciled us to himself? Did we reconcile ourselves to God? Did we get back right with God? No. God brought us back through Christ, right? 
He's the one reaching out. He's the one drawing us. Verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God makes us righteous in Christ. It's not something we earn. It's God that does it. God that makes us righteous. Go to chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but it's that last phrase. Our sufficiency is of God. How we made righteous, how we made good, it's God doing it. So let's not get self-righteous and, and big-headed and think, oh, well, I'm more righteous than you because I did this and this and you did not. No, no, no. It's all still from God. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Philippians chapter 2 tells us it's God that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So, if you take out that middle phrase in verse 20, may the God of peace, verse 21, make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you. So, we make the right choices, God makes us right. Does that make sense? We choose to follow Him, as the Spirit leads us, we choose to obey and God works in us and through us to make us holy and make us right. It's not that we earn it or we do anything. No, it's God working in us. We're just choosing to obey and to follow Him. People think it's like this some big, hard, mind-blowing uh, equation to be right with God. No. Was your salvation that complicated no we knew we were a sinner we bowed in faith right lord lord save me we made that choice i'm going to place my faith in you why is following him any different no is this what the bible says okay lord i want to do that i'm going to follow and then god makes us righteous god helps us god purifies us god brings us along as we continually choose to do his will it's God working in us as He conforms us to the image of His Son. So go back to Revelation chapter 19. All that to say, the wife has made herself ready and she's got on these, these clean white linen that represents her righteousness. It's God that did that too. Okay, It's God that did that too. So we see those who have believed on Him, those who had followed His call and are walking obedience to Him and to His Word, they are finally united with Him. This is the moment 
when it, it, all, it is all sealed up for the church and we are with Him forevermore. So let's move on to verse 9 and verse 10. We'll cover these tonight. Then we get into probably some of my most favorite parts of Scripture when Christ comes and, man, He puts it down. <laughs> Everything in this earth is down and He is King Supreme. But there's one, one more little thing I want to look at. In these last two verses, it's pretty important, and we, we just we need to have it in our wheelhouse. We need to understand what's going on. So we've seen the marriage. We've seen who that is. Scripture tells us who it is. We see uh, her characteristics. It's, it's these people who are living righteously that are dependent on Him, following Him, and they are counted righteous, and they are called. They're called. Verse 9, He saith unto me, Write. Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Get this interesting little break. Like he's, John has seen all of this. All of this up to this point in in. All of these things unfolding on the earth and then he finally sees the gathering together of Christ's people unto him and then there's like a pause button hit. And the, the angel who's standing there says, hey, write this down, right? He saith unto me, write. So far, John's, John's been writing, probably fast and furious, trying to make sense of this all. Oh man, look at this this group of people. They look like a bride and they're so white and shining because the righteous it looks like she's dressed in fine linen. You know, he, he's trying to explain this as he sees it. And then the, the guy who's standing there says, hey, hold up. Write this down. It must mean it's pretty important. Because it's a, it's a pause in this grand vision and it's before the next amazing thing. And this messenger says, you need to stop and make sure you write this down. And in fact, it's so powerful, it makes John do something kind of odd. Because in verse 10, what does he say down? I fell down at his feet to worship him. And, and the angel, I believe it's an angel, says, hey, hold on, man. Don't worship me. Now, John could have left that part out. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing to write down. Oh, by the way, I bowed down and worshiped an angel. He could have left that out, but it's here for a reason. Is it? Because this whole thing is so moving and the statement just tops it all off that it causes him just to fall down and worship? He's so humbled, he's so overwhelmed with all that's going on? I think so. And I think this statement sums it up. And that statement is in verse 9. He said, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed means happy. These people are happy. They're called. Called, the Greek word is invited. So happy are those who are invited to be part of this, to partake in this. Okay, then that's a question in my head. Who's invited? Did you guys invite everybody you knew to your wedding? Or was there a few people? <laughs> Did you go out the streets and hand out flyers? Hey, come to my wedding. Well, let me tell you who's invited to this. Everyone. Everyone who's ever lived and ever will live up to this point is invited. You know how I know that? Because the Bible tells me God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
There is a chance for each and every human being who has ever lived to be a part of this. But not everybody responds, now do they? Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I'll let the bridegroom talk about it himself. I'll let him tell us in his words what's going on. Invitations go out and no response is given. Look at uh, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 15. One of them which sat at meat with him heard these things. Jesus was speaking and said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper to say that to them that were bidden, same word as called, invited. Same Greek word, just used in a different English translation. Go tell those who are invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore, <laughs> therefore I cannot come. <laughs> I don't know why I find that statement funny every time I read it, but I'm married, I can't come. That's what the guy says. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things, and the master of the house being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. The call goes out and people have excuses, don't they? How many people have you invited to church to give a reason? I got to work, man. I'm married. I can't come. <laughs> That's my me day. You've heard them all, right? People make excuses. Well, you know how many times this has played this out? And we'll, we'll see on a little deeper scale in just, just a couple minutes if we'll get to it on how this works out. But you've experienced this. The table is set, man. We got the church here. We got the gospel preaching. We got singing going on. We've got fellowship. Everything that somebody could need. And you know the call of the Lord is to go make disciples. Let's bring them in. And people reject. People say no. Well, do you notice what the, the master of the house says? Fine. Go to the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. Do you know the broken people of the world will accept Christ quicker than the healthy, wealthy, and well put together. And the church ought to be going to them. In fact, what does it say in verse 23? Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them. Compel them. Man, just bring them into Christ. Because Christ will bring the healing that they need. As for the rest, well, then that those... None of those men which are bidden shall taste of my supper. That's the judgment of God for rejecting. We've been talking about that the past uh, month or so on Sunday mornings. There's, a, there's a, uh, a price for rejection. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Let's look at a couple more verses and we'll be 
finished. Matthew chapter 22, and look in verse 1. Again, these are the words of Jesus, and He's using parables to like illustrate it. He's using like these stories we can connect with to kind of get a, 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 a very easy mental picture of the spiritual truth. We can all understand inviting people to a dinner and them giving excuses and saying no. So He, he, he takes that out of our society and brings it in, and we get it. That's how God feels when He invites people and they reject Him. Well, we're going to get that on a little deeper level. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 1. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Now that we've been some time in Revelation, some of these languages in the parables should be ringing bells. Marriage for his son. I saw the marriage of the wife and the lamb. And she's dressed in fine linen. And blessed are those who are called to the supper. That's the end. That's the fulfillment of all these parables. But now that we know that, we should be picking up on it in Jesus' language. A kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden, same word, invited to the wedding, and they would not come. And again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and treated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. That's pretty, pretty heavy passage, but pretty descriptive. If you just read the Old Testament and see what's going on, you see this is a depiction of Israel. Didn't God call Israel to a very special relationship? Man, just it's the same covenant He made with Abraham. Walk with me and I will bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Just walk with me and I will make you a great nation. What happened? They went aside. They went aside and God kept calling. He kept sending His servants, calling them back. You guys need to be faithful to me. You need to be faithful to me. What did they do to the prophets? They killed them. Jeremiah, man, all of his ministry, nobody listened. Nobody listened. They made fun of him. They put him in stocks and they made fun of him. As he's telling them, Babylon is coming. There's judgment coming. And the people laughed him to scorn. What happened? Babylon comes in. And Jeremiah sits down and writes the book of Lamentations as he weeps, seeing the nation carried away into captivity. God sent servant after servant, prophet after prophet to warn them. And what did they, what did they do? Math, we're not listening. We're not coming. We're not going to be part of it. And so God brings judgment. That's what the first part of the parable is about. We see it. Okay, what about the second part? Verse 8, Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out to the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. That's when Israel rejects, that's the church age, and the Gentiles coming in. All kinds of nations, all people groups, it doesn't matter, any and everybody, right? Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. 
And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in here without having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Oof, we don't like that. This guy comes in. He has no garment. He's unprepared. He didn't listen to the instructions. There's no obedience. And he's got judgment coming, right? The guy says, get out, get out. We don't like that kind of talk, do we? That kind of talk makes us uncomfortable. Many are called, few are chosen. There's judgment. What's going on with that? That steps on our toes because we want everybody to be okay. Listen, man, I I would love if that's the case. I hear people in my life when somebody passes, and you probably hear it too, Forgive me if this sounds mean, but everybody says, well, well, I'll see them in heaven. I know they're in heaven. They didn't believe it. They were very vocally outspoken against believing in God. Um, the Bible has some things to say about that. Like there's a rich man in hell crying out saying, hey, send somebody my, to my brothers to tell them. There are people that will stand before the great white throne whose names are not written in the book of life because they have not accepted Jesus to spend eternity in a lake of fire. I wish everybody was all okay in the end, but that's just not what the Bible says, right? That's why it should be such a burning desire in our hearts to share the gospel with the ones we love because eternity's coming. And we have to, we have to be forgiven of our sins here and now so that we enter into eternity right. But you understand how everybody thinks everybody's going to be okay. It's just everybody's going to be saved in the end. It's just not true. We know the truth of Scripture. There's one way, and that's faith in Jesus. We also know the importance of following the truth of Scripture. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and then go out and start churches and do the same over and over till I come. And as you do, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See that you purify yourselves in obeying the truth. All these things we've talked about. We, own, we know the Bible talks about that, and that's important. Few people respond to the call. Many people hear the call. Few people respond. Fewer still commit themselves fully. Does that sound about right? Many people hear the call. Some people respond to it. Very few people commit their lives to God. Jesus knows this, and that's exactly what He's talking about. In fact, just about every time He talks about the kingdom, something like this happens. In fact, every time, you want to, in your own personal time, you want to take some time and walk through the book of Matthew, especially, every time you read, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, there's going to be a parable. And it's always a contrast. Faithful servants and an unfaithful servant. Those who who were faithful with the talents and the one guy who wasn't. The good soils and the bad soils. The wheat and the tares. The wise virgins, the foolish virgins. There's always a comparison. The sheep and the goats. If you're familiar at all with it, you're going to see that there's always a comparison. And you're going to see reward to those who follow and were faithful and judgment to those who reject. For those who knew better. What makes you more mad? When your kids spill milk? 
but when they deliberately disobey a direct order. Some of us is borderline. <laughs> Again with the milk, we're at a restaurant. It only happens at a restaurant. Oh, yeah, I remember those days. We're not, well, they've got a little bit more control of their arms and legs now, so it's okay. But <laughs> I remember those, they had sippy cups for a long time. I remember those days. You can't get mad at them for stuff like spilled milk because they're kids, right? They're going to mess up. But when I say, hey, I want you to do this, and they don't, there's a stricter judgment for that, right? Especially when you knew and I told you. That's the case. That's, well, let me just, that's the case for us, his church. We know some things. We've been told some things. Like, be holy because I'm holy. If somebody who's like newly saved and they're just a baby in Christ and they don't know some things, they're not going to be held accountable to the same standard as if they had already learned all this stuff. Does that make sense? They're just a baby in Christ spilling milk and they'll learn to walk and they'll learn to, to, to live right and, and, and they'll grow in their faith with the Lord as, as they follow Him and are obedient to, to this. Be, get, joining up with His church and having people around to help, right? But those of us who have been in it for some time, we know some things. We know what we should do and what we shouldn't. So when we break the rule willingly, that brings some stricter judgment, doesn't it? God says, hey, man, you knew. Let me, let me just read you. We're out of time. Let me read you this from Luke chapter uh, 12. Jesus says this. He's given a parable of like a, a servant that is, well, let me just read it. And you'll, you'll understand. Luke chapter 12, verse 43. Who is, who is that wise and faithful steward whom the Lord shall make ruler over all his household? Blessed is that servant. When his Lord comes, he finds so doing. Of a truth, I say to you that he will make him a ruler over all that he have, all that he hath. But if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, shall begin to beat the men servants and, maid, and maidens and to eat and drink and be drunk. And the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him asunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, listen now, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. This is a parable, but he's, he's illustrating for us a truth. That servant that knew is going to receive a harsh punishment. Verse 48, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. You've heard that before, right? That's where it comes from. And God has entrusted us with much. It's not like it's this huge, hard, heavy burden. Come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We make the choices, God does the work through us. But there are times when we knowingly go against it. There are times when people have heard the call and they maybe they've even been, been committed, but they walk away. Narrows the gate, narrows the way. And few there be that find it, right? So when Jesus talks about this, we've got to understand there's a call goes out. Happy are they who are called to the marriage of the Lamb. To be part of this people is spend eternity with Him. Many hear the call. Most don't commit to it. Most don't follow it. 
And there's going to be judgment for that. I wish everybody on the face of the earth could be part of that. But to tell you the truth, that's just not the case. It's for those who follow, those who believe and those who follow Him to spend that blessed relationship with Him forever. I was going to go to Philippians chapter 3. We're out of time. I think we'll pick up there because Paul says something about living for that. Remember, he says, I press toward the mark for the high calling of Jesus Christ. Blessed are those that are called to the marriage of the Lamb. There's a calling to press forward to. And Paul says, I count everything else but loss for the excellency of Him. So there, there comes personal responsibility. But I think we'll pick that up next week. We're out of time. So we'll pick up there and then we'll get on to when Jesus comes and establishes His kingdom as He reigns supreme. End of chapter 19, easily some of my favorite passages in the Bible. Some So visual, and man, they give me goosebumps every time I read them because that's going to happen. He's going to come on a horse and He's going to put everybody down and we'll be following Him on white horses. Oh, this could be so awesome. So we'll pick that up next week. Hope this has been helpful. And for those tuning in, watching this, we'll see you soon.